Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my fan friends. Welcome to another Rahalastava Book Club. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by the magnificent Josie Long, whose book, I have to read it off the front because it's so long, I can't remember <laughs> what it's called. <laughs> it's called Stories, because I don't know what you mean and what you don't. Uh, by Josie Long. Josie Long can really write, says Dawn French on the front. Hello, Josie. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> it's lovely to see you. And a friend of the podcast, been on the podcast before, but not on the book, book podcast. And this is a collection of short stories, which is an interesting way to go. And I would like to know why you wanted to write short stories. Um, well, it was something I liked doing ever since I was a kid really and it was something that I really felt was like something I was going to do and wanted to do and when I was at uni especially I was like yeah I mean I do do comedy but like my real thing is writing short stories blah, blah, blah. and then I think comedy is quite all-encompassing for me so like when I'm doing a tour it's just that and I find it really hard to do other stuff on the side but I still had this kind of desire to try and make it work and then I started thinking about it in 2016 and and wanting to do it and then yeah it was the pandemic that actually gave me a bit of space to do it so it's something that like 
It's like when people say, oh, I'm a writer and they don't write anything. And I was like that for ages. I was like, oh, I write short stories. And they were like, how many have you done? Like one every five years. I enjoyed writing. I wrote for one of those Robin Ince collection of horror story books. And it is an interesting thing to do. I think that to, to try and get a story into, a, you know, into that framework of a few thousand words and it's over. I think the, the problem is sometimes that you write something and I mean what's interesting about this book a lot of them are snapshots so a lot of them you know it's just a little moment from someone's life or a little incident from someone's life and so and this isn't a criticism some of them you kind of go oh I want to know more about those people or or I want to see a bit more of that so it's quite you know although I suppose like a really successful uh, short story in a way you read it uh, which again many of these many of them are like you read it and go fantastic i love that and that's the world over with so that's not you know it, it, it's a, it's a strange thing because a successful one is enclosed in its own world but also it's a sort of success to do one that isn't enclosed in its own world <laughs> that you want to see more of right it's oh, yeah it's, that's interesting it's quite it's I'm... quite a tricky format i think to work in because of that yeah i think it is it's so interesting it's just I don't, I just kind of am interested in what I'm interested in. And so because I've like really want to do it, I'm like, this is what I really want to do. And then people are like, oh, it's, that's a difficult thing. And I'm like, oh, everything else seems impossible to me. This seems possible. (laughs) So I like doing this. Like the idea of trying to write a memoir or something, I couldn't possibly do it. Right. I think, you know, I think it's, I think as a reader, I found it interesting. And I've read short, obviously short story collections before, but not for a while. But I found because you know I, I, I'm sort of reading books and trying to get through books. But I had to hmm. stop. I had to stop after each one, and and I thought, oh, this would be quite an easy book to read because they're all quite short, you know, short stories. I could yeah, probably sure. knock this off quite quickly. But I had to. I could if I tried to move on to the next one, I realised I couldn't get my brain into it quickly. You know, straight away from the last one. So I had to stop and then go away and then come back and read the next one. So that you makes know, you feel really proud. Honestly, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, genuinely. I cannot like contain <laughs> the excitement of like having people read it and talking about it It is fucking wild it's it's amazing even people being like i did like even if i didn't like that one i'd be like someone didn't like that one do you know what i mean it's like above and beyond exciting for me i do but i think you know that's going to be it's like writing a sketch show in that people are going to watch a sketch show and go i like that one but that was a bit hit and miss and you know because they will like they will like not they won't say this is hit miss but they'll say that they'll say a sketch show because they like a certain one so you know there's ones that you like more and ones that you like less so you know you know but then that's that's the beauty of it as well because a book a novel, if you're not enjoying it, <laughs> or if you don't like a bit of it, that's probably the end. Whereas this one, you go, okay, well, this one's, you know, this one I'm not interested in, but the next one I am. Although I was, you are correct, interested, <laughs> interested in all of them. They're all, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot. Obviously, it was written down during lockdown, and lockdown feels like a sort of thematic thing going going through it. There's a few that are are about the madness of lockdown. There's one. Or, or there's have one. The, well, they all have the feel. They all have the, the the feel of it. I think, though, you know, there, there's one that's specifically about lockdown, but they have this feeling of being sort of trapped. I mean, the last one sort of has a feel of. I mean, it's about parenthood. I, I guess the thing is, a lot of it's about parenthood because you are you've got two kids, and this uh, is true. And I think that there's a similar feel to to lockdown and being a parent in that you're trapped. Yeah. You're trapped. Trapped. I went to do gigs in Australia and everyone was like, oh my God, the flight, you're going to have the worst time. And then I was like, 
This is just one shit day that's better than lockdown. I'm like, what? what is everyone going on about? Like, at the end of it, we get to be in Australia. Like, why is everyone saying this is bad? This is fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but there are a few things that sort of come. There's a quite a lot. Of, I mean, again, there feels that there's quite a lot about relationships. Part, there's a lot about the past and about um, past relationships and dealing with past relationships, dealing with body image issues. I mean, yeah. these are obviously things that, uh, that that are in your mind that you're thinking of, and they're the, the different characters, and they're not all you, obviously. But it is quite it is quite interesting how those themes of parenthood, uh, you know, looking back. I mean, I think I don't know if that's just something that happens as you're a parent or something as you hit middle age. I have sort of sleepless nights where I get obsessive. I had I, I couldn't sleep a couple of months ago because I was thinking about the girl who sat opposite me in English A level who I quite fancied, and I think mm-hmm. fancied me a little bit, and went out with my friend. I couldn't quite mm-hmm. remember a name for a bit, then I did remember it, so I was obsessing over that. And I was feeling really sad about the fact that mm-hmm. we had no relationship beyond being friends. I started feeling really mm-hmm. sad about this past, you know, very minor infatuation I had with this girl. And what it seemed, might have been? Yeah, but well, it, it, just, it just seemed incredibly important. And, and I'm very, it wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm unhappy in my life. If only I could go back to being 18. It was a terrible time being 18. And now I'm very happy. So it's, it, it, there seems to be a few things like like that. I mean, some more serious than that, I have to say, uh, where, where the characters are, are backward looking and trying to process old, old part, the past and old relationships, it seems, uh, comes up a lot. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, for me, that was something that I wanted to do, I think, through writing this. There was definitely, like, things that I wanted to process and exercise, and it was useful to fictionalise them. Yeah, I think, so, I mean, I hate to always go on about the same thing, but, like, having ADHD is, like, in part about ruminating about the past or worrying about the future, like, creating, like, a lot of, like, internal, (laughs) um, like, rumination is the word, and, like, things like that so I mean it's definitely like part of me to sort of think of those things and definitely to have like that kind of romantic unbearable feeling of like oh god someone I nearly had a crush on 10 years ago like I feel that so hard and and you know what I I did a tour recently with the musician James Yorkston who's so fucking amazing and he I think is in his I think he might be in his late 40s early 50s and he's written this record which is very much about I'm here I'm looking to my child who's becoming an adult and I'm looking to my father who's um, becoming older and I'm in the middle and able to see forwards and backwards. And that feeling of like middle age where you're like far enough away to acknowledge you're never going to be able to go back to there. Yeah. But you're far enough away from there to like really see it on the horizon. Yeah. And so I think like writing these at this stage of life really was like that. It was like, Oh, I've done enough that I really have things to pick over and think about and like yearn for that I can't go back to. But I'm like here and I can really feel that like <laughs> that's on the horizon and it's not not necessarily like what was that? I think there's a lyric in I think it's James Jackson's lyric about like if you think welcome to life, if you think the first half was bad, get ready for the second. <laughs> it's like amazing. Um but yeah, I think also in terms of my writing of it, I feel like in quite a good settled place. So it was kind of great to be able to try and write it from here, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, there's, you know, I think it's exactly that as a sense of perspective, and it's like the, you know, the humour of the perspective and the sad and the sadness and the tragedy of the perspective. I think looking back at yes. the, the boyfriend who was, you know, had been to India and seemed very cool when when the <laughs> when the person was young, and realizing, you know, in in hindsight, I mean, we, again, yeah, exactly. You have to go. We'll have to go through it with our own kids as we watch them make <laughs> terrible mistakes. Um, <laughs> but. but <laughs> And you know, obviously, uh, Josie, you're a very funny comedian and Thank a very you. funny That's person. Very kind. But this um, this book, whilst there are funny ones in there, and there are kind of uh, yeah, there's some dystopian ones that are quite uh, uh, worrying, and there are some very serious ones uh, that are very sad ones and more and tragic ones. I think my favourite one, I think the one that gets the it has the biggest emotional punch, but I think just really. Um, yeah, and it's not a funny one. Uh, is the twenty twenty one twenty twenty one one, which oh, is again, which which is which has this. I, that was the one that I kind of, you know, the writing's great, but it throughout throughout the book that one just I was in that world, and it's uh, you know, it sort of slowly draws you into its sort of emotional uh, punch. I suppose there's a sort of oh, wow, gut, gut punch in there. So you know, the, 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 there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of serious thought in there, and you're not go, you're not forced to go for the laugh uh, all the time yeah. I mean you must have found this like writing in other mediums it was so incredibly like freeing to be able to just be like oh no I can see where this story goes and follow the tone of it and I don't have to undermine it every 30 seconds or shorten it for a laugh or change it because it has to be a comedic thing like just the fact that you can be like no I just want to like write something that's trying to be as pretty as it can be or like as meaningful yeah. as it can be or like really be true to the emotions that I'm trying to like explore it was amazing to be able to kind of broaden out my voice in that way like it felt really like oh there's loads of stuff I've not been able to do in stand-up which is a shame because you like to think there would be no limits to stand-up you know but it'd be hard to do a show that was about that you know for yeah, me yeah 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 of course yeah, well, it would be hard to do a funny, uh, definitely a funny show, but I think it, you know, that one, that one, I think works really well. The one about um, the the girl and the bike and uh, the sort of dis, this disto- slight dystopian version of uh, of the internet, uh, which may, yeah. <laughs> which, which, I don't get, I don't want to talk about about them too much, but that one sort of is is funny, but also, you know, has a bit of a sort of tells the unexpected element. Oh, that. nice. <laughs> Which is not, so that's, that's right. But I feel that one could be, you know, that it feels sort of 1984 or something like that, doesn't it? It feels like that could be expanded out into, into something bigger. Just that, that, well, that idea. With those ones, there's one, there's that one, which is about kind of a girl, I suppose I don't want to give too much away, but a girl exactly, who's like, yeah. work is in part to do with digital surveillance is what I would say. And like, then there's one about, um a woman in a commune in the future and there's one about a woman who's having to interact with this very um dystopian government agency and then there's another one about um some girls who try to defraud the super rich and like try really hard to like rob from the super rich and like all of those I was thinking like I think they're my way of processing like the laws the government's passing and and how to cope with them, you know, like um, thinking about the fact that they're cracking down so hard on protests. The, the public order bill, I mean, it, it literally does say that you can't speak publicly about a protest if you're an activist. You know, there are things in it that are 
as bad as in those stories. You know, the same with like the um uh uh oh my brain is too crummy, but like basically the day that they did the PCSC bill, I think I wrote this the short story about the women interacting with the agency, and I wrote it in like one go, and it was basically all of my terror about that just blur yeah. out. And like to me, I think that I really do think that the government is that bad, and I really do feel kind of bleak about a lot of stuff. And again, like on with stand up, I don't want to write shows that are bleak. I want to write shows that have a bit of joy and defiance to them, but. Sometimes in the stories, I think it's been possible to still have them be a bit defiant and a bit joyful, but to very clearly be like, no, I think it's this bad and irredeemable. Yeah. <laughs> like, which yeah. is kind of, ugh, <laughs> it's like useful. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it is great for that. I saw you in an you interviewed about this book um, saying uh, the thing about stand up is it sort of disappears, even if you record it, it's sort of. It's in yeah. the moment disappears. It's one of the things I like about stand up. <laughs> I kind of, well, I kind of do. I do. I like the fact that, you know, even if it is recorded, that most of the best moments of stand up happen in the moment, mm-hmm. in a, you know, in a room. And you know, if you create a really special experience, you know, mm-hmm. that everyone in that room is going to think back about that, but it will never be recreated. I kind of like that. But, but you, you talk about books. Uh, enduring and the kind of exciting thing about this is that you know this book could be put I mean that is I do like that I like when you're in an old pub or something and there's a bookshelf of really old really old books and you can pick one out and it probably will be a load of nonsense from (laughs) that you can't understand but you know it's still there and it's still possible to this is what I like yeah yeah if mine can be sold by the yard in a (laughs) hundred years to make some dickhead's house look really uniform i'll be thrilled <laughs> to be to be sold by the yard mm. Mm. i mean dream. i mean it's true so there's that possibility that i feel you know i'd look at and especially doing this podcast but also having some books out and when you go into a bookshop i find it quite depressing i have to say you go into a bookshop and my books if they're there are uh, somewhere uh, there's one of them and it's, it's hidden away, and it might often be in the wrong section because my books kind of often overlap between their health and men's health and mental health and comedy. But this is it. Uh, this uh, is why you go right fiction. It's in it's, fiction. There's no that. fucking about. It's <laughs> in <laughs> fiction. But it is, you know, it is. It's such a competitive market, and yes, the it's it's a wonderful thing to get books published. It's absolutely you should be as joyful as you are, which I'm delighted to see because a lot of people, I think, don't understand. Um, what an achievement it is! I think to get to get a, a book published and in into bookshops, but it is you know when you might be one of the authors that put it ends up on the tables, Josie. I don't know, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not one of the Imagine authors. Imagine that. I dream of, of being on the table. Do you know what I dream of? I Just high. once going in somewhere. You know where they have the staff pick. Yeah. Oh my god! If I am ever a staff pick, I will die of happiness. I, I'm Do a staff pick. I'm sure you will be a staff pick. But see, yeah, when I when like so I think at the Cheltenham Book Festival, they had book they had tables of my books, uh, like well, nearly all of them, uh, in the bookshop. And that, but that's the only time it's ever happened. I was at the festival, so you know. Did you know who like, bought those books? No one. Spies. <laughs> spies. <laughs> yeah, Cheltenham spies. Yeah. Spies. You just have nothing but spies. <laughs> but it's it's you know it is it is it's that I find it quite interesting. 
that that you know that disconnect. And so I think someone on Twitter uh, this week was writing about how they'd looked into the metrics of it, and successful authors was entirely down to the marketing. So you know, obviously the people know who they think are going to sell, so they market them. So it's a bit of back and forth. But uh, the, the 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 books that do well are the ones that marketed well, and then you look at all these other hundreds, thousands of books sometimes in a bookshop, and you know how hard everyone has worked to yeah. write those books. And, yeah. and you also know that most of them are going to go largely unread. It's kind of... It, oh, you know, this is bringing so, me to earth. Well, that's why... That, but that's why I think that's... You know, I think what your enthusiasm's great, but I think that's... You know, I think at least stand-up... I was just... I just wanted to debate this thing. You know, stand-up, you know who's seen it. You know there are people there. That if there are there, if, if there's mm-hmm. no one there, then that's, that's depressing as well, but you don't tend to do the show. Uh, and, you know, and at least you have that, and it's sort of in the memory, whereas a book... I suppose that, you know, I do love books and I do love all the things you're saying about them. Uh, and I do love that potential that that book can be opened anywhere at any time by anyone. You know, I, I like it when you see someone uh, in another country, you know, someone in Africa's reading. Oh, yes. That, that's that's mind blowing. Can I just say there's no guarantees with anything and there's True. no real permanence with anything, <laughs> you know, True. like. We we want to say, oh, people will remember a really good stand-up show. Yeah, maybe. But they might not even remember it in the way that we do. And they might forget the bits that we thought were important. Like, you know, so often you'll be sharing a shared memory with a friend and they won't remember the bits that you thought were, like, most significant. You know? It's true. So, like, and I think, I, no, I agree with you. And I think my point about stand-up is actually not being remembered. It's the fact that it exists in the moment. So I think, so I think that's, I didn't make it very well, but I think that is the point that that it's, it doesn't, you know, yeah, there's no point in trying to be, you won't be remembered, even if you, you know, even Richard Osman won't be remembered in 200 years time. Even someone as... Uh, the he might, he might be like Charles Dickens. He won't. He won't. Who's going to be like Charles Dickens? It's <laughs> um, a good question. He might be, he might be. Um, but it might be Richard. It'd be, it'd be terrible if it's Richard Osman. What a terrible world that would be. <laughs> but even in 10,000 oh. years time. I mean, it's kind of nice that those Latin guys, you know, those Roman guys end up, some of them, by the chance of surviving. We still get to read their work. But eventually everything goes. So what I'm saying is enjoy your life in the moment, Josie. And don't worry about it. Don't worry, don't worry about the future. It's, I don't do it enough. I, 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 I enjoy everything retrospectively. But yeah. six months later, I go, oh, that was good. Oh, I'm not doing it anymore. Wait, to talk about the book, like, again, I mean, these are a lot of people who are like, for whom the present moment is kind of unbearable like a lot of the characters the thing that I've realized that I've done thematically I guess throughout the book is that lots of people are trying to kind of use mindfulness and breathing techniques to cope with a systematically cruel and unfair world or abusive situations that these techniques are not designed for. And it's because like, there's nothing else for them. You know, there's nothing else available. So it's people trying to kind of like deep breathe themselves out of (laughs) crisis. Oh Um, yeah. It's, it's incredibly, it's a bleak book. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's not as well. It's like everything's wonderful. It is. Uh, But it, you know, it does, it does make you think a lot about this. It's very, I mean, that's the the beauty of it, that these short stories and most of them, you know, some of them are only four or five pages long. Some of them are a bit longer, but they will make you think about things. And I also like the fact that it's not spoon fed. You do have to, as a reader, you have to work. That's what I mean as well about, stopping between them 
because it's not like each one goes, hello, my name is Ian Harris. And I, <laughs> I'm I love it feels about Ian Harris. <laughs> I'm depressed about this. You have to, you know, you have to enter the world each time and find your way in. And I think that's what's, you know, that's what's great about it because it's not, you're not, you're not spoon feeding the reader. It's not, um, you know, the reader has to do a little bit of work and also you Thank have you. to. I'm really proud yeah, of it. You have to find your way, you have to find your way in, but there's, you know, not that you haven't given the way in, but it's, but it's and not that it's I'm not saying it's difficult to read. I'm saying it's cle- it's clever the way you've done it. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Can I say, I really appreciate how much you've been um, very kindly not insulting me i'm trying not to insult well but i'm aware that all these things can be can be taken as an insult (laughs) it's very hard to discuss something that's complicated especially when somebody loves it you know yeah yeah it's true but if you say that that's that where that's what language is if you say things in a different tone of voice uh or whatever you know i mean i would like to see you write something longer and more involved as well uh but but it is you know it's good value for money you get a book with a lot of stories in it and uh, and a lot of ideas in it. I try to be good value. Good I would value love to value. write a novel, but it feels that the currently impossible. But that's yeah. how writing a screenplay felt, and I did do that. So also, I'm going to get on um, government mandated speed soon, and then I imagine okay, it'll just fly out, you know. <laughs> so the ADHD doesn't really. I mean, it's it, it's it, it's there in the background of you writing it. And that you having you've been recently as all comedians. I'm refusing. Yeah, every to, comedian. I'm refusing to get the diagnosis. I mean, I you should say, do it. Richard. I took a I took a test online and it said I didn't have ADHD, and I thought, well, there's my show. Uh, but <laughs> the one comedian who doesn't have ADHD, <laughs> even though I clearly do. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's so that was quite a recent diagnosis, right? That you that you got of that. Is, is that it's helped about- you? Two and a half years ago. Yeah, it did help massively just because it gave me a key to understanding my life and its peculiarities and myself and lots of things. Um, it did help massively. And yeah, I think that like there's a lot of ADHD in the book in terms of people with very, very overactive 
internal monologues and people who are like feeling and thinking things at a very high pitch. Like yeah. my, I, when I was growing up, my mum very much lived as if she was like, like Madame Bovary or something, but she was in Orpington and like, she had like a very, a, a very kind of leading lady emotional world. And I now really understand that to be ADHD and I'm really glad for like performing because it gives me an outlet to to be that that then can like calm me down the rest of the time (laughs) I think um but yeah that to me is like what some of the stories are about is about people who are kind of more melodramatic than their circumstances allow yes okay that's fair enough I mean yeah it is interesting to think about I mean uh... Uh, during lockdown, I discovered I had aphantasia. I've talked about it a lot on the on the, the podcast, in which I means I can't form mental images in the same way other people. I don't, have, I don't I don't have a mind's eye, but I can imagine stuff. And it's I can, a neurodivergence. Yeah, and so it's interesting to think that you know when you say that, well, think whatever. Surely everyone thinks like a lot and has an internal monologue. But of course, some people don't. Some people don't even have an internal monologue at all, which is I very know, hard. It- that's hard to imagine. And I can't those, imagine. My, also, I feel like those people should be... I know everyone wants to talk about how they have ADHD, and I love it, but I would love it if those people were like, by the way, I have no internal monologue. You are speaking to an empty shell. Because it would be very calming for me. I'd be like, they're not thinking about me because they're not thinking. You know? They must be thinking something. They must be thinking in some way. But I, I don't... Hmm? You know, but I can't explain how I... You know, I, I can... I can visualize stuff without seeing it and I can't really explain it. It's like, you know, it's like something's happening behind my field of vision and I can think of my child's face, but I can't see it. So I know what my child looks like. Some people don't know my children. Are like my, my, Some people can't remember faces at all. I can, re- I can pretty much remember. I'm not great at remembering people's names, but I'm good at remembering yeah, faces. I, you know, I think I have a similar thing, which is I don't really think in images. I can just about drag them up, but it almost hurts to try and do it. Right. But I do think in some kind of impression that is like a mental impression, it's like a feeling almost of that yeah. picture. Yeah, is that what got, you have? That's the same as me. You've, you've got that. We've yeah. got the same. We should we should swap diagnoses and. and uh, <laughs> okay. Do you have do you have trouble um function? Do you have trouble finishing things? Um, I mean, sort. I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm I lit sometimes, but sometimes not. I think it's really easy for a comedian to assume they've got ADHD, and I'm I do so much stuff that's always flirted around with obsession and I find obsession and madness, you know, mm. interesting and and interesting mm-hmm. to explore comedically. And I think comedy and mental illness, I should say, sort of they dance along the same path, you know, and like, and, and so like a lot of the stuff I'm doing, certainly my pet projects are basically a mad person, which again, I think, I think why this book resonated for me and why the lockdown thing feels so, you know, even though it's not, it feels there without being in everything is that in lockdown, you were really able, I was really able to explore that crazy man in an attic, you know, a lone man clearing stones off a field and playing snook against himself and talking to puppets. Talking to puppets, but I, you know, but I'm aware that those, I'm, you know, if I was, if I was mentally ill, I would, be, I wouldn't necessarily be aware that those things are mentally ill. Though sometimes, although I would say we, we've got to be careful with our terminology because ADHD is not a mental illness. It's no, just, no, no, um, no, no, neurodivergence, isn't it? It's, it, it, it is. If only you could recover. No, I don't mean that at all. <laughs> but I love it. But sometimes you do feel like 
uh, like especially when you when I first got diagnosed I was a bit like and so what can I do to make me neurotypical yeah. and then it was like nothing nothing babe you're absolutely stuck <laughs> but then it's mate it's what makes comedians who they are it's what you know it's why that that works for so many people and you know and, and I think that's it I would rather be able to you know I, I don't think not being able to say mental images is a is a great thing I think like I think having having a butterfly mind and having a mind that overthinks I think in a creative mm. way is is a lovely thing to have but maybe 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 not having the mental images means that the you know the the verbal thoughts are are more intense and yeah and that, you know I do I do love I do love language so go it must have been wild to find it out at this stage of life like that was the thing that was so weird was to be like you're kidding me for decades I didn't realize <laughs> this thing and nobody else thought to just point it out and for you like for decades not to appreciate or to un- understand that other people's thinking was so different to yours you know yeah but you know I don't when? until until I found out I didn't re- I think if you'd asked me I said oh yeah I can say you know I imagine things and I see pictures until I tried to do it and realized I couldn't do it <clears throat> I was sort of surprised that I couldn't do it as well as much as not being able to do it so I kind of in my mind I thought I could see things in my mind but I couldn't it's you know but because you, you, you don't have because someone put a fucking thing on in you know Twitter. I think it was Bethany Black actually. Thanks Bethany. Put a thing saying can try and imagine an apple. These are the five ways that people who try to and some people can see a three dimensional apple. They can spin around. Adam Buxton can do this. He's one of the first person I thought to. So they I can base they can basically a movie a coloured apple that's three dimensions. They can spin and turn around. Some people see a kind of slightly faded colour. Some people see a black and white apple. Some people see a flat apple. And some people see nothing or hardly anything at all. And so if I think I see hardly apple, anything at all. Yeah, you're the same. So now you have, I've ruined your life. You've got you've got two things now. Got, this you know, isn't fair. Yeah, although I have conceptions of things. Yeah. Is how I describe it. Yeah. I, I, me too. This so must I can, be why things like hypnotherapy don't work in the same way for me. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking, you know, when they go, go back to a time when you think of a place where you were happy. And you know, I can, I can, I can, I have the concept of you know, I, I have a, I've had a place I go to when I think of that, but I can't fucking see it. You know, I just have. Where do you go? I, there was when I was on holiday in in Thailand in two thousand and one. Nice. I was on holiday nice. with Judith Sawala. I was I was in a relationship with her at the time, uh, and uh, we weren't getting on very well. <laughs> so oh. we didn't. And this is we your happy place. Yeah, but there was we stayed in this beach for ages, and it, I realised like at that one o'clock in the morning. The sea went in a certain way that this little island of sand appeared like about twenty meters out from our from out from the little hut we were staying in, and I would yeah. take a chair on my own while my girlfriend was asleep, and I'd sit and watch the moon crossing the sky sitting on this oh, island beautiful. this little beautiful. island and then and then the sea would swell and it would disappear again, and I'd have to wade back into shore and so that's where I go when I think of i I really just loved I loved watching the sunrise in the and set. And I loved watching the moon, just the moon and going across the sky and being in your own land where your own laws applied and you could do could do anything on the island and no one could stop me. Unfortunately, there was no one else there to do anything with. And there was nothing to do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just but some sad. Free. But in that moment, no outside laws. If there'd That's been so a, beautiful. If, if, a, if, a, if, someone, if a woman had washed up on shore, I'd have been able to make, if she wanted to make love with me, I'd have been able to make love with her and it wouldn't have counted as cheating. Oh, it doesn't count on your no, island. I was on my island. 
So that's my happy place where I could go and be. But no, it didn't. You know, there was no. Imagine if someone had washed up and they hadn't spotted them, like Man Friday. <laughs> they were on the others. They were just behind me on the island all the time. Well, it was only the size. Thinking, my world, my rules. Yeah, it was the size of this table. I mean, I guess you know, if I wanted to murder people and stuff, I could have done it then as well. And it was my island. I, my mean, world. I guess I think I, this I is an that. extrapolation that isn't true. I think this is still basically subject to Thai laws. And I also think if your girlfriend at the time, yeah. if you'd have come back off that island and said, <laughs> "I've been sleeping with lots of women on my own island," I yeah. don't think she'd be like, "Oh, it doesn't count." Yeah, I think she probably would have been like, "That that does actually count." Richard. Okay, well that's your view, but I know I, that's <laughs> where do you where do you go when you when people tell you to go to a happy place? Well, it's two things. When I was doing hypnobirthing, I used to imagine this pool that was like a cool pool of fresh water with like willows overhanging it and lots of moss and kind of greeny blue water that I could just put my feet in. But I like I, I imagine two things. The first thing is uh, me and my friend Daniel used to go swimming a lot in Coney Island. Whenever I would see him, we would go to Coney Island to go swimming. And we had this amazing swim in like May where the water was cold, but the the the, the air was warm. And we both got out and were like, that was exactly what I needed. It was like so perfect. And like, I can see it, I guess, in my mind's eye. <laughs> and then I always think of this one time. So we got out. And then where we'd been standing a foot away, a seagull swooped down and picked out this gigantic sand eel from the sand. Right. Just where we'd been standing, this fucking massive great thing had been under the sand. And I remember us both being like horrified, but kind of amazed. Like, <gasps> and I think of that day. I don't know why it just was so perfect and unusual. And if you'd murdered Daniel during that day, it wouldn't have counted as murder. It wouldn't have counted, no. <laughs> that's fine. And that's what I like to dwell on when I'm in my happy place, is that I could have committed a murder. That's that's what makes me feel calm. I've, I've never thought of that before. It's just I realised, you know, that by the rules that I could have. I, it, I didn't want to murder anyone, but I, I could have murdered someone. You could have, yeah. <laughs> now I realise. And it would have and been... was this pre nine eleven? Yeah, yeah, it was. It would be, I think. So it was yeah. in a different time. It was a different time. <laughs> it was basically. I mean, it was just in this millennium, but it was basically the last millennium. It feels like a long. It was time. the long nineties. It feels like a long time ago, but then again, you know, it wasn't. When you talk about and that, that's the that's the terrible thing about getting middle aged. I think like it's twenty. Was it twenty one years? It must, yeah, it must be twenty one years since Time, Gentlemen, Please, which was where, where the time when I was going out with Julia um, finished. Like, and then you go, "Fucking hell, that doesn't that that doesn't feel like twenty one years." But then thinking of that story, that does feel like twenty one years. So, time that you play around with time, you know, you have you have these ideas of time and sort of the kind of time travel in this book as well. So, yeah, I, well, I had a, a really weird feeling, which was I remembered. The first time I went to Melbourne Festival, which was in 2007, and I was 25 years old. And there was a comedian there who was an older guy who was, like, inappropriate with me. Right. And it was very sad for me because I was like, oh, I thought this guy was, like, interested in me, but he wasn't. It was like a, a bait and switch. I was like, oh, no, this is really disappointing. Yeah. And I remember, to my mind, this person who I'd, like, really liked when I was a child, I was like, ugh, like, this is such an old, sad man and then I realized two things this year in Melbourne <laughs> firstly I first came to Melbourne 16 years ago yeah and the difference between my childhood when I'd seen this person and seeing him was 17 years yeah 
And I was like, oh, that's no time at all. Like, oh. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, like, when I'd watched him on TV, it was like 1989 or something, and thinking, like, oh, that's like another world, <laughs> you know, in 2006. And then me thinking now, 2023 does not feel crazy far away from 20, 2007 in that same way. And then I was like, yeah, but he must have been 50 odd. He was, he must have been 50. And I looked him up and he was 42. Right. And I was like, because oh, I'm 41. And I was just like, no, I'm still vital and young. Yeah. I was like, just thank God I'm not like coming under 23 year olds because that would really be give making it, some gross memories for them, you know? Give it time, Josie. Give it time. That midlife price still kick in properly. I've got time, haven't I? I can get on, get on the wine. <laughs> Thank God I met my wife when I was 40. And so I've I've been spared. Yeah. I've been spared from being, I, I, I heard, oh, no, we're, we're probably went. I, I, I heard uh, there was a, another author wrote, uh, wrote a similar thing about a respected but unnamed comedian who did, who, who just was inappropriate with her. And then I asked her who it was and I found out who it was and it really made me. Unhappy. I think I might even know who it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it sad, me, isn't it? Makes me so unhappy. Yes. Uh, but there we go. But so we're all flawed, and we can all, we can all, <laughs> we can all turn things around. Maybe not. No, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but this is this is the this is the beauty of this book, and these things that. I'm just coughing up some phlegm because yeah, I was that's laughing. Lovely. That's all right. I'm glad to help get the phlegm out. Um, you know, that's, I think the beauty of this book is it does, you know, it makes you think outside of the outside of the book itself, and and, and it makes you think about all these sort of things. So it did a lot Thank of it. Re- a lot of it resonated. I think you know, even like, I think these things you you know that you say may come from ADHD. I think a lot of a lot of people, certainly parents, I think will really you know recognize yeah, a lot a, of stuff in it. I think it's not. I mean, I don't think it's something that only neurodivergent no, people no, would relate not. to. Absolutely, like it's just about living in my life, really. <laughs> also, I, you know, Richard, I'm really grateful to you for reading it. Thank you. No, I enjoy. You know, I love. You know, the lovely thing about this is I'm getting to read lots of books, and you know, I only talk to people if I if I like. If them. You like it? Oh, if I like them, so it's uh, so you know, you're you're all right. It'll be it'll be all right, and you got you know you've got a lot of fantastic quotes, like hundreds <laughs> of fantastic quotes. You've got everyone, like oh, Dawn French, Joanna Lumley, A. L. Kennedy. What a what a spread of of it's James Acast. It? it is. You've done you've done very well. You can only do that once, though, Josie. You can't go with the next one. Say, so can I have another quote? Don't be a hoary old naysayer. <laughs> don't be telling me about all the sad parts of it. I don't it is it is listen next time i'm getting a quote from um the archbishop of canterbury <laughs> that's true you can make fun i'm getting a quote from the president of finland <laughs> i'm not i'm not going for authors no i'm, I'm going for um top brass i think that's a very good idea i work- the american military <laughs> good are you working on anything else? Have you got a, have you got more up your sleeve, or is are you resting on, are you resting on your laurels? Well, do you know what's bleak is at this present moment. <clears throat> I would really love to write a novel, and I would love to write more short stories. Am I currently writing them? No, I'm doing my stand up tour and this tour, and I'm parenting my little children, and that's more than enough that I can cope with. Um, I think my focus in the autumn is going to be trying to write some scripts and trying to just beg people yet again to let me make a show. 
Um, I hope that that will happen. Next year, I think I would like to start trying to write more fiction again. But it's really interesting. And it's like that feeling of when you do your first stand-up show, where basically all your life up till that point goes into that stand-up show. And then the next stand-up show, you're like, I guess June till July this year will be the inspiration for this show. (laughs) So it's interesting to see, like, but I think there were a few things that I was going to put in the book that I didn't quite feel ready for as a writer. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wasn't able to do them in a convincing enough way. And I'm really hoping that maybe this time around it might, that might be the case. That I could do the few little bits that I've not done yet and... And also the best thing about kids, they just grow up and up, you know. It's going to run up. You're right about it. They start saying stuff you can just rip off and use. Oh, yeah. I want them to start saying the funniest things. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. They start saying them and then it's good. And then you're and from there on in. And then fine. when they're 25, you can write shows about what a terrible time you're having with them or something yeah absolutely i mean i think probably 12 <laughs> to be honest my daughter from the age of two has been you know sarcastic to me so uh i, I, I don't know what she's gonna be like when she's a teenager maybe she'll maybe it'll switch the other way around and she'll be delightful but i, oh. I have a feeling that, that i know Are you're you ready a big... to be absolutely eviscerated oh god her. yeah i mean she's she's already it's already happening i mean i think she likes me i don't have a bit in my show about whether i whether she actually likes me i think she does and that's the sort of theme go through this show about me losing my testicles but it's my is my relationship with my daughter but uh yeah she's so she but also the problem is because i find her being funny so funny that she does she doubles down uh-huh. so you know she, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's my way of approving her but it's still really it hurts you in a way you're not expecting because you sort of think your kids will just love you and want to kiss you and at least when they're little and adore you and they you know they're little people and they make their own decisions about who they like and who they don't like yeah and, uh, and as you i think you say in the book then we live in a world where uh you know in the past for us if there was a relative you didn't like and that you go go on give him a kiss give him <laughs> you can't if my daughter doesn't want to kiss me i can't go you have to kiss me i'm your right. brother you're not Lawrence Fox. <laughs> I'm going to go, that's fine. I don't need a hug. I love you. I love you. I love you. When you're ready, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> cool, isn't it? I, it's the same for me. Like, I spend my life being like, do what? <laughs> and also, you can't even be a dick about it. You have to just be like, great. Thanks for telling me. Thanks. Oh. Oh, I wish we lived in the 1980s. What a, what a, great, what a great time it was. A we great could, parenting era. You could, you could you know smack what? kids. It was great. You could if you lived in kids. the 80s, it was perfectly fine just to <laughs> let your kids out on their own. Yeah. You'd leave them in the house and go and get a drink at the pub. Oh! Incredible. Where we, where we got, we got, well, I got through. You were, yeah, you, were, you were alive in the 80s, weren't you? But only, only as a fairly sentient Tried. thing. No, as yeah. a child, I mean, I was literally being parented You're in eight, the eighties. That's true. You were, you were, you were, you were, you were, you were a proper child. Um, I was, I, I was a teenager. You're a teenager in the eighties. Yeah. No, I, I, it's very interesting. I think a bit about that, about how like there are things that I believe would be safe for my daughter that I still wouldn't do because it's not culturally the done thing. Yeah. Like I think at five, she would be safe to go to the little shop that is 50 yards away and get herself a sweetie or something. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't do that until she was a bit older, just because it feels like nobody else would allow their child to do that. Do you know what I mean? I do, but I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine 
We were, I don't know what point we were allowed to go and do things on our own, but it was much younger than I'd be happy letting my kids yeah. in. Well, I just can't. Me and my sister, yeah. I have a memory of being about four or five and going with my sister to the shop because she was trying to buy a cigarette. One cigarette. <laughs> and I think me and my brother and sister used to go get, sometimes get the bus to Middlesbrough. My brother and sister were a bit older than me, but. Yeah, my grandparents lived in Middlesbrough. I have a memory of going on a bus with just my brother and sister to Middlesbrough. Wow. I may, I may be making up because we usually drove. Uh, I came out of listening to Matthew Perry's fascinating but awful audio book, which I have talked about a little bit, uh, which he is sent by plane to between his parents and Oof, he on his own. Yeah, but he blames that for how his life turned out. But I think I was okay being put on the bus with my brother and sister. But maybe, <laughs> I, maybe, I, but maybe this I wasn't. Could be the first part of. Of unraveling a terrible. <laughs> have you read? Life. Have you read that Matthew Perry book? You've got to. You've got to give that. No, a listen. I haven't. I like him a lot. I should oh, read you, it. You won't like him after you've read it. Oh no! Really? <laughs> well, what's it like? Uh, I mean, I mentioned it a little bit. He's uh, he's not. He's been through a lot and should have learnt some lessons. And I don't think he's really, he thinks he's learned some lessons, but he hasn't. No lessons learned. He hasn't really learned any lessons. Oh, and, uh, there's a very funny thing. I think, is it, who is it? It's, oh, it's, it might be the, I, I was thinking Bill Burr, but I think it might be the that American comedian, Norm, Norm MacDonald, I think it might be uh, oh, yeah. say, talking about, if you ch- Google this, about talking about how Chandler, how Matthew Perry invented sarcasm, thinks he invented sarcasm. They called it, uh, they called it a Matty or something. They called this thing a Matty. And he went, do you mean sarcasm? anyway that's that's not in the book that's on google somewhere uh talking of other books uh, and i do recommend matthew perry's book uh do listen to it it's absolutely i I love reading books by people with little to no self-awareness and they're usually comedians uh but um (laughs) but um uh, i know you're a big book reader is there anything that you have read recently you would like to recommend to our listeners oh god do you know what I love? I don't want to undermine because I loved hearing you say that I was a big book reader and I feel that it's con- a constituent part of my identity. But honestly, the amount of reading I've done of late, it's embarrassing. I'm, I'm reading um, Fern Brady's book and I really yeah. love it. I think it's wonderfully written, absolutely wonderfully and really interesting. Um, I have started reading the new, um, what's his name? Uh, Max Porter book. Called okay. Shy, that I'm really loving. What's really exciting about that is, I think Max Porter must be about my age, and it's about being a teenager in the '90s and about a little bit and and about um, drum and bass music and things like that. And so it's really thrilling that literary authors my age are like canonizing experiences that I had. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, my uh, my friend Monica Heisey wrote a really 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 funny novel that's really great called. Um, uh, really good, actually, is what it's called. Okay, it's about being a young divorcee. Oh yeah, which I, I really know. loved. I'm trying to think. Like, there are. I have managed to read bits and bobs. I just haven't read as much as I would like, which is deeply <clears throat> frustrating for me. Um, <clears throat> I finally started reading Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James, okay. which is um, about the Haitian Revolution. Oh, um, yeah. But it's incredibly compelling in how it's written. But again, it's just about such deeply powerful affecting brutal horrendous things that like you can't just read it you have to read three pages and then be like (sighs) right 
Wow. And also because it is still like an academic book. It's not like a literary book. Like this is the first time I've been reading a um, a nonfiction book really since my um, since my little baby. Yeah. I thought going yeah, I te- hard. I, yeah, that is that is pretty full on. I find it very I find since I've had uh, kids, you know, and I never thought this would happen, but I just find certain subjects just too much to bear. And it's not exactly that hard because of my kids, but I just I've got a lot more, you know, wussy about uh, about what I'm prepared to look at, and yeah, and, it softens you, and, doesn't and it? Subjects that I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on, but uh, you know, I, I force myself at times to go into those. So those, those sound, those sound fantastic, brilliant. Look, Josie, it's lovely to see you, and I'm glad you're so happy and everything's so great. Oh, well done on the book. I do recommend it. It's called. Thank you. I, you know, I'm never going to remember what it's called. It's called. It's called because I don't know what you mean and what you don't. Can I tell you the reason? Yeah, tell me the reason. That? I want to so, know. I was going to ask. Firstly, I love Raymond Carver. I think he's like a master of the short story genre. Um, and his books, to me, I love the titles. They're sort of like, so he's got like, will you please be quiet, please? He's got what what we talk about when we talk about love. Um, he's got another one that I can't remember the name of, but it's similar. Um and I just really love that they're like quite long, difficult, yeah, yeah. repetitive things. And this was a line in one of the stories. Um, and it's about like this woman, she's not sure what's going on in this kind of tryst. Um, and so I loved it. I was like, because I don't know what you mean and what you don't. I just love it. And then it reminds me of when I named my first daughter and we didn't realise that we were mispronouncing the name. And every time I meet someone, they're like, oh, is her name this? And I'm like, no, it's like that, but we say it differently. <laughs> and I feel like with this, like the first interview I did about this book, it's not come out yet, but it was with a really brilliant um, journalist who was talking to me about it. And, and she, the first thing she said was like, I can't get on with this title. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I think it's really wonderful and I'm proud of it and I stand by it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you do. Thank you very much to the wonderful Josie Long. Do buy her book. And thank you also to Chris oh Evans, God, not that you. one. And Ben Evans. Why not? Let's, let's thank Ben Evans, not that one. Uh, and we'll be, back, <laughs> we'll be back next time with more, with another author. Who knows who will be next time? I love that I'm an author as well. It's very exciting. You are. There you are. You're officially an author. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash fallback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Gofasterstripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.